Welcome to the Supernatural Cast, a podcast dedicated to rewatching Supernatural from the CW. All right, welcome back to the Supernatural Cast, a podcast dedicated to rewatching Supernatural from the CW. I am your host, Jimmy in Georgia, and it is Tuesday. It is October the 11th, and I'm yet again late with a podcast. Nothing new here, but uh, I do want to say I'm excited to be back. And I've got some more feedback from some new listeners, um, or for some other listeners, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, we'll share later on. Um, I do like getting emails. Um, with this podcast, I've definitely had more probably in the, in the first few episodes than I did with the entire first season of Falling Skies. Very limited email interaction going on over there. <clears throat> but hey, it's all good. Anyway, this week we are back, and we will be talking about episode four of Supernatural phantom traveler and this was a good episode this was a very uh different episode from the first couple so far first three and i uh, definitely enjoyed it we learned some things about dean and we i don't know it was just a good episode there wasn't any real notable guest stars at least anyone i recognized from anything really i guess the biggest guest star this week would be the demon it was our first encounter with the demon on the show <laughs> which definitely definitely plays a huge part of the show definitely enjoyed this episode it's definitely um around episode four and five i mean I, I enjoyed the first few but i was definitely at this point kind of hooked and wanted to keep watching um so i kind of started that whole marathon that i've talked about a few times already and yeah good stuff from there but anyway i do have a few things i want to talk about as far as the podcast goes one thing i haven't mentioned before i know that i've thought it it's been in my plan but anyway, as I move forward through the show, one thing I have planned to do, and, and you may have noticed, the cover art right now is from some promotional photos, or actually a photo, from season one. And as I move through the seasons, I do plan to update the cover art to coincide with the change of a season. Um, the show does begin and end with some music that has been featured um, in Supernatural. And both those songs were featured basically near the end of season one as they were doing the retrospectives of what had happened, the road thus far kind of thing. And so I haven't 100% decided on that because I know that Carry On My Wayward Son is pretty prominent throughout those recaps over the years of Supernatural. But I have thought about maybe mixing those up each season depending on some of those type songs that were used. I don't know. We'll get there when we get there. Definitely want to change the cover art each season as we go through. And I think I want to throw in either a uh, a DVD or a Blu-ray section after we get to season or the you know, end of the season just to say some of my favorite stuff because one of those things i don't know if i've mentioned this yet i mean i've listened i do typically try to go back and listen to the show after i finish editing it but the one of my most favorite things about getting the dvd sets and then the blu-ray for season six are the gag reels i love the gag reels it's like the best but season six came out not too long ago i got it the day it came out at best buy and it had a dual t-shirt which I think I mentioned I'll probably give away at some point in some sort of contest. But I had the option to get it for like half the cost on iTunes, which would have been a pretty good way to watch it. Watch it on the iPad or on the computer or whatever. I don't have Apple TV. That is one of those little things I'm, I would like to get. Anyway, I chose to get the Blu-ray, which was quite a bit more expensive than the $19.99 I could have got it on iTunes. Just for Honestly, I like having a physical copy of stuff, and I can always rip it and put it on my computer if I really, really want to. But apart from that, I wanted to make sure I had the gag reel and some of those other special features. I am a kind of a sucker for special features. Um, I haven't gone through and watched them all yet just because I was in a hurry to, to marathon the season. But the one special feature I did always watch so far has been the gag reels, which are really, really good. So anyway, that's just a quick side note. And we're going to jump into our recap of The Phantom Traveler. Supernatural Recap. Well, all right, let's jump into that recap. And one thing I'm doing a little differently this week, um, I'm assuming most of you out there probably have the DVDs or the Blu-rays. Uh, maybe you don't. One thing I thought would be interesting would be to start breaking down our recaps into the chapters on the DVD, just for kicks and giggles, if no other reason. And, and honestly, I think some of these titles are, are kind, of, kind of cool. So the episode this week was episode four, Phantom Traveler. The first of the six technically chapters was entitled fear of flying 
Uh, the stir starts off looks like it's one of those tricks they do on TV. Makes it look like a guy's in the tropics, but he's not. He's at an airport. He's afraid to fly. He goes into a bathroom and these this black smoke. And honestly, the smoke doesn't look as good here than it does later on. But this black smoke enter, enters into his body through his eyes. And when he enters the plane, he speaks to a flight attendant and his eyes turn black. And the United Britannia Airlines aircraft is crashed about 40 minutes into the flight when this man with the black eyes goes and opens the emergency exit door. Sam, we see, comes into the hotel room. It's like 5.45 a.m. Sam is not sleeping. Dean was up at 3 o'clock, and Sam hasn't wasn't asleep then. Dean's concerned, mostly because Sam has his back. Sam still has still having nightmares. And he's basically just afraid because of everything that's out there. Dean gets a message from Jerry Panowski, a guy that Dean and his dad helped a couple years back with a poltergeist up in Pennsylvania. The boys drive to meet Panowski, and it doesn't actually say where they are, which is weird. I'm assuming Pennsylvania, maybe, perhaps, who knows? It doesn't actually say. Jerry does tell Sam that his dad was proud of him, talked about him, and then Jerry plays in the cockpit voice recorder for Flight 2485, and the pilot, Chuck Lambert, along with six other people, did survive the crash. And so Sam wants a passenger manifest and the list of survivors, and Dean says he wants to take a look at the wreckage, but Panowski can't pull that for him. So Dean goes to Copy Jack and makes some fake Homeland Security badges. Sam finds an EVP on the recorder that says, No survivors. There's a long history of spirits and death omens on planes and trips, the Phantom Traveler's France instance, or even Flight 401. Max Jaffe is from the area and must have seen something weird because he is one of the survivors and he is in Riverfront Psychiatric Hospital. They pose as Homeland Security agents. They go in to talk to him. He tells them he didn't see anything. But then he eventually opens up and says there was a man who had black eyes and opened the emergency exit door even though there's two tons of pressure on that door. (laughs) They ask him questions about things he did or whatever, but he didn't do anything strange other than he had black eyes and was super strong. We find out that this guy's name was George Feltz. He was in seat 20C. And Sam theorizes, was he some sort of a creature in human form? They speak to George's widow. He was going to some convention in Denver. He was terrified of flying. They were married for over 13 years, and she never noticed anything strange. It's time to suit up as Dean and Sam go to look the part of the Homeland Security agents. They get to the warehouse, look around for wreckage, using an EMF detector. It was homemade. The emergency door handle has some substance on it. Hmm, interesting. Real Homeland Security agents show up, and they rush back to the security warehouse. Just as Sam and Dean go out, they're able to get back um, out of the secure area just after the alarm sounds. Then we see these two guys are talking about flying in a twin-engine plane. One of them is Chuck, the pilot who was in the crash earlier. The black smoke comes out of the vent and into Chuck through his eyes. And then Sam and Dean learn that substance on the door handle was sulfur. And they recognize it quite easily as the show goes on. <laughs> I guess this little discussion here. I'm assuming this is the first time they've ever encountered a demon, which is strange to me. I know some things are starting to amp up in the world of, you know, apocalypse and all those kind of things that happen in the show, but that just seems odd that this is the very first time they've ever actually really encountered a demon, and we're very kind of thrown off by that. I think that's weird. Anyway, Dean and Sam think this is possibly demonic possession, but they've never heard of a demon crashing into planes. As soon as we return to Chuck, he's acting very differently. And then uh, 40 minutes into the crash, he does crash his plane into some farmland. And that was in chapter one. Chapter two is named 40 Minutes Flight 424. Sam has been researching the concept of demons and demonic possession. He says every culture and religion has the concept. Sam says according to some Japanese beliefs, certain demons are behind disasters, natural and man-made, like earthquakes or disease, or maybe now plane crashes. Demons are not their normal gig. Dean says. Jerry tells Dean that his friend Chuck is dead, that he crashed his plane about 60 miles west of where they were near Nazareth, and that that was sulfur in the plane again. Flight 2485 and this plane went down 40 minutes into the flight, and Dean says that's an example of biblical numerology, and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, etc., and he says that number means death. And then they find out there have been six planes that have crashed over the last 10 years that went down about 40 minutes into the flight with no survivors until now. And so this basically turns into Final Destination, except for it only happens on planes, which is interesting. They learn that Amanda, the flight attendant, um, one of the only survivors of that one plane crash, is about to fly in another plane. 
her flight 424 is about to leave and Dean tries to say he's a doctor. Her sister's an accident. That doesn't work. And then he says he's one of Vince's friends. That doesn't work. She gets on the plane. And um, just before she does, we see black particles in the air again um, near gate 13. So we don't know who's possessed, but we know the demon is around. So Sam's plan is now to get tickets to be on the plane and find the demon and exercise it. Oh, but this is when we learn Dean has a fear of flying which will be our Dean Quote of the Week later on in the show. All right, well, Chapter 3 on the DVD chapter list is Amanda. <laughs> I think Chapter four's title is pretty funny. Dean is humming Metallica. He's trying to calm himself down. They've got over 30 minutes to track down this thing and exercise it. They think maybe it's Amanda. Dean talks to her and says, Cristo, um, which I think Sam says is Latin for God, but Cristo, Christ <laughs> in uh, Latin, pretty sure. I mean, I'm not a big Latin person, but I know in, like, Spanish, which I think is pretty similar. It's like, Dios is God. But, I don't know. Anyway, as far as I know, Cristo would be Christ. Which is interesting if that is the case, because they really don't ever talk about Jesus. Um, <laughs> they talk about lots of other things as the series moves forward. But definitely don't bring up JC. But anyway, Dean says, says Christos to her a couple times. Nothing happens. Um, there are several times there's some severe turbulence. Sam is saying that Dean is panicking and that could open him, him open him up to possession. Sam says also that he finds the ritual Romano, a two-part exorcism. First part would expel the demon, the second part would send it back to hell. Dean goes around with his EMF detector looking for the demon. Did they miss someone? Is the demon on the plane? And then they find out the demon is a co-pilot. Leading up to chapter four, which is called Satan is my co-pilot, which is a takeoff of, there's, I think there was a movie, a stuff years ago, I think, of like a, pilot guy and i think maybe the title of his book before his movie or something like jesus is my co-pilot or god is my co-pilot something to that effect i thought that was pretty funny anyway sam and dean have 12 minutes to exercise the demon they talk with amanda about being on flight 2485 they tell her that chuck is dead and there's something wrong with this flight she remembers seeing the black-eyed man on flight 2485 to bring back the co-pilot to them so they can talk to him when she does they knock him to the floor dump take his mouth and dump holy water on him and starts to burn him they send Amanda out of the area. Sam starts to ritual. The demon possessed co-pilot knocks him around. The demon says he knows about Sam and his girlfriend and says that she's burning right now. The smoke comes out of the man and goes into the vent. The plane takes a nosedive while Sam looks for the journal. Dean has a hard time being scared and stuff. He's just kind of crouching in the corner. Sam's crawling on the floor. Sam's able to finish the ritual, banishing the demon to hell. And there's like this 80s style weird science electricity covering the airplane. It levels off. They've saved the day. And then chapter 5 on the DVD menu would be voice message. Gate 13 is where they go back to. The co-pilot doesn't remember getting on the plane. Sam is upset about the demon because of what he said. Dean says um, that they read minds and that they lie. Jerry appreciates the boy's help. Jerry got Dean's number from their dad. He didn't actually speak to John, but there was a voice message that said, you know, if they need help right now, call Dean. And it actually says Dean's number is 785-555-0179. That's going to wrap up a recap for The Phantom Traveler. We're going to jump into our next segment, which is the top five moments of the episode. Supernatural 5 will count down the top five pivotal moments of this week's episode. Well, all right, it's time for the top five moments of the episode. I think number five in this case would be Jerry actually called them for help in this, this situation. So far in the show, Dean was trying to track down their dad. That's why they went out to Jericho, California. Their dad directed them to go to Colorado. And then in the last episode, Dean found a newspaper article that directed them to help that lady. Whereas in this case, someone contacted them. Or Sam and John had worked with him, helping him with the poltergeist that we've talked about before, the, the noisy ghost, if you will, in a German. And he called them for help. He thought this was their type of, of thing then. So it was kind of cool. It was a different um, modus operandi, if you will. And I think that's pretty important. So that's number five on my list. Number four. They track down and talk with survivors and are led to Amanda flying on flight 424. They talk to the guy that checked in himself into the mental ward. They find out about the pilot, Chuck, who died. They talk to the widow of the demon-possessed guy on the first flight. And then they finally track down some other people who aren't flying. And then they finally find Amanda, who is flying, knowing that this thing, this entity, was going to try to kill her since it wasn't going to let any survivors survive. And so... 
think that's kind of interesting. I also think it's interesting that it only attacked people on airplanes. Like, I think they should have just went full-on full destination or final destination with this and just had the, the thing, the entity, the demon, killing everyone who made it out. Uh, but in this case, it was limited to crashing airplanes, which is funny. And it was also funny that it was 40 minutes in. I know their probably explanation for that was the biblical number for death. I don't really think that's the biblical number for death. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. They are able to track down Amanda on flight 424, and that's going to be number four in the top five moments. Number three, this was definitely one of those key moments in the episode. Dean using his homemade EMF detector after scouring the plane for like 30 some odd minutes, they're able to determine that the pilot is the one who's possessed or the co-pilot actually, which made it harder because they weren't, you know, around that person. He was off in the cockpit. And so they just happened to have him coming out of the bathroom, which was fortunate for Dean so they could figure out what was going on. And definitely, as we saw in the previous example, when the pilot is possessed, it's a lot easier to crash the plane. <laughs> Chuck just nosedived the plane. And so in this case, the co-pilot, if he would have had his way, probably would have done the same. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and going on into number two of the top five moments, Dean and Sam, mostly Sam, I guess, find a ritual to exercise a demon which works and saves a plane from crashing. I still think it's odd that this is the first time they know that they've encountered a demon. Now, granted, if you're more familiar with the show, you know that they have encountered demons before, at least one. But this is just weird to me that in these many years, and I, it's been, what, 22 years of their dad fighting evil and them fighting evil, hunting, they've never encountered a demon. I find that strange, especially considering the amount of demons that are on the show as the show moves forward. That seems unlikely. Um, or maybe they just didn't realize it was a demon. I, I mean, From what we see in the episodes, it seems like every time they find something evil, they're able to kill it. Pretty much. Um, with a few exceptions, I guess. And I guess up to this point, they've been able to destroy whatever they've found and, it, and they weren't demons, and so that's just weird to me. But anyway, that's where we're at, and definitely we'll talk some more about that when we get to the spoiler section up next where we talk a little bit more about some future things to come. And then number one episode key moment here, I would say, is John, their dad. John Winchester is alive and has updated his voicemail and turned his phone back on. Apparently his phone was turned off, and now it is on, and there's a voicemail saying, if you need help, call Dean. And so that is good news, and so the trail has not grown cold completely there is still hope of finding papa winchester if you will and so i definitely say that's number one moment of the episode not like i've said before i do kind of choose the number one moment of the episode of how we're driving the overall story of season one forward not necessarily the most important moment of the, of the episode because really the most important moment of this episode was they saved the airplane but again john being alive their dad their search for their dad is kind of driving them right now so that's number one on my list. All right, we're going to move into a kind of a spoiler section where I will talk kind of briefly about some things that happen in this episode that we can kind of look forward to in this future episodes. And right now, I will only be discussing anything up until the end of season six. I'm not really talking about season seven stuff yet, so just keep that in mind. But if you don't want to hear about seasons two through five or six, um, you might want to skip ahead this next section and there is a chapter function here in the AAC format where you can skip right over this into the supernatural travel log which will be almost non-existent this week by the way <laughs> all right well, we're going to get into our spoiler section here okay spoiler alert one more last time just to be safe if you don't want to hear it um skip ahead please all right demons play a huge part in this show in general the yellow-eyed demon is the one who killed um, Sam and Dean's mom infected Sam with the demon blood, which turned him into the super-powered demon freaky whatever thing that was going on there for quite a while. And he seemed to kind of lose those powers, but then he had his whole um, string of being hooked on demon blood thanks to his stupid demon girlfriend. I mean, demons are everywhere in this show. I mean, they're there for a while. I mean, they have the knife that can kill demons. They have Sam who could, like, superpower demons and kill them. Um, <laughs> they have the the cult they can shoot and kill demons and other evil things. I mean, there's demons everywhere as the show goes forward. So I just still think it's odd that this was their first encounter that they knew of um, here. And and I've left out other demons. I know there's lots of them in the show. And speaking of demons, I'll go ahead and throw this out there. I still think it's very strange that they believe in demons. 
but they did not believe in angels. They're like, oh, that's just a fairy tale until like Castiel and whatever shows up in season four, and there are other angels too. But like, there, I think earlier than that, there was that one episode where some other thing, I don't know if it was a demon or what, but something was posing as an angel and it wasn't an angel. But it's just like, why? I don't know. It's just weird that they would believe in the in the evil stuff. It wouldn't believe in what theoretically would be a good thing. Um, but it seems like on this show, the angels aren't necessarily that great either, for the most part, I guess. But anyway, definitely one thing here in this episode, um, looking back, um, special effects-wise, the smoke looks kind of terrible. Um, it definitely gets bigger and badder and crazier as the show moves forward. It's not just a little bit, it's a lot. And then also, too, just the whole exorcism deal. Like, they had to look up what the whole ritual was. I mean, like, later on, Sam has it memorized, and then he can just do it with his mojo, like a Jedi or something. And then I think Dean even learns it. And then we get into stuff like Devil's Traps. I mean, there's all sorts of things that they get into of how to fight these demons. And there's they don't know it yet, which is weird. And then uh, just another side note. I don't remember the guys flying anywhere else at any point in this show. And I'm sure there's lots of other things we could talk about here, but I think that'll be all for right now. We're going to jump over into our supernatural travel log. It's time for the supernatural travel log. Well, like I said earlier, I don't, they never actually specifically said where they were. Um, we know this Jerry guy was up in Pennsylvania, so maybe they're in that area. Um, the only really indication of where they were really is at one point they said they were 60 miles from a place called Nazareth and there is a Nazareth, Pennsylvania and I don't know that for sure if this is really what they were talking about and there's even a sign when they go to kind of investigate the plane crash, Nazareth, three miles um, but there is a little town called Nazareth, it's got like 6,000 people in this population it's in Northampton County and it's actually four miles north of Bethlehem and 12 miles northeast of Allentown. So it is a real place. And I'm kind of assuming that's where it is based on the, the fact that we had heard that, that Jerry was up in Pennsylvania. So I'm assuming this to be the case. But we don't know that for sure. But if so, at least that portion of this whole thing would have been a real life place as far as our supernatural travel log goes. And I, as far as the geographics of the area goes, but they theoretically could be like in the Scranton area. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. I just Google searched it and Scranton is like 62.7 miles away from Nazareth. So yeah. Okay. Scranton, Pennsylvania is where the office is. Dunder Mifflin paper company, Sabre, whatever it is nowadays. And so maybe that's where all this was taking place around the Scranton area. I don't know that. I'm just kind of throwing that out there, but that would be fun to think that Michael Scott and Jim and Pam and everyone Dwight were near the Winchesters. Hmm, that'd be fun to have. But anyway, um, <laughs> we're going to move on um, from the Supernatural Travelogue, which was kind of a small one this week, into our next section, which is a little bit bigger, and that is, of course, the folklore and mythology. And religion, I guess. A little. This week in folklore and mythology. All right, well, we have a jam-packed edition of the folklore mythology, and I guess at some point we should add religion in there. Um, there's all sorts of stuff going on in this particular episode. Some of the stuff briefly mentioned, some of the stuff was a little more spelled out, I guess. Sam and Dean talk about death omens really quickly at one point, which are something that would foretell someone's death. could be all sorts of things. Um, around the world, there are several different um, types of these, whether they be a banshee, there's all sorts of stuff, but there's definitely something out of the ordinary which would foretell someone's death, foreshadow it, if you will. And, I mean, that's pretty basic. I mean, we could get depth, more depth in there, but they just barely mentioned it. Um, so we're going to move on from there. Phantom Travelers is another one of those things they've mentioned. Actually, that's the name of the episode. And I think generally this is supposed to be more along the lines of someone kind of like the woman in white where they haunt a area. They seem real and like a real person and whatnot. Maybe something like that. Maybe a phantom hitchhiker of some sort, but I don't know that that was definitely related to a traveler as far as an airplane. Um, but yeah, from from what I looked up, it seems like the ideas of phantom travelers are really mostly hitchhikers, and they're kind of like the woman in white was, except for different, because that was a different case of a, a phantom traveler, I suppose. 
But anyway, the Flight 401 crashed down in Florida, which isn't too far away from me here. Long, long ago, Flight 401 was a Lockheed L-1011, which is a big airplane, by the way. I flew on an L-1011 once before, and it was huge. It crashed into Florida Everglades. It was December 29, 1972. 101 people died. 77 initially survived, and two died later on. The part they mentioned was that over the years and the months, people with Eastern Airlines began reporting sightings of dead people on board other flights and things. And I guess the story was they used some of the parts in the from this plane and those planes. And so there were, there were actually reportings of seeing Don Repo and Bob Loft all throughout Eastern Airlines. And the people could actually get fired if they mentioned it. There were two books written on this whole, whole crash, one called the Ghost of Flight 401, 1976 by John G. Fuller. And then Rob and Sarah Elders wrote a book called Crash in 1977. And both of those were turned into movies made for television in 1978 called The Ghost of Flight 401 in February. And then The Crash of Flight 401 in October of that year. And I remember seeing, I think, The Ghost of Flight 401 as a small kid. Um, not that small. It would have been a replay later on. But uh, interesting stuff, I guess. And the big one for this week was demonic possession and demons in general, I suppose. And this is one of those things that, I don't know, a lot of this stuff, mostly most of the stuff in this show is pretty much made up, or urban legends, or folklore, or whatever. Um, but when it gets to more of this type of imagery and, and idea, this is definitely more of a religious idea. Um, whether if you're a Christian, and he mentions other, other religions having ideas of demons and demonic possessions. Me, personally, I am a Christian, and I believe demons are real. And I do believe demonic possession could happen. Um, I don't think I've ever witnessed that personally, but it's definitely in the Bible. Um, spoke of pretty intensely in the New Testament, several places. Hey, this is there's a couple of things I wanted to share here. Um, a couple, uh, probably the most famous instance of demon stuff in the Bible, I would think. I don't know, maybe maybe not the most famous, but one of the most famous would be the time when Jesus ran into a guy who had lots of demons inside of him, and he actually gave himself a name, or they gave themselves a name. Um, legion for they were many um, so I'm going to share that brief exchange there and then I'm going to talk about another time in the Bible where they talk about some demon stuff which I think is pretty funny alright Mark chapter 5 start verse 2 down through verse 20 and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit and they do say demon possessed later on that's just what they call it right here he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain for he had often been bound with shackles and chains but he rinsed the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces, strength to subdue him. And that is kind of in line with what we see on Supernatural. All right, verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. For he is saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out, out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding near on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pig and the herd, numbering about two thousand, rushing down the steep bank into the sea, and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. And I, I don't know if that is technically the most famous passage about the, the demons in the New Testament, but it's probably one of the more famous ones. I know they make reference to the whole thing with the Legion quite often, basically just saying that's a lot. That was a I think it was a Roman term for their uh, military. I think it was 5,000 people in a legion. And anyway, we see here there was 2,000 pigs. So if it was a pig per demon, that was 2,000 demons inside this one dude, which is pretty crazy. But that is pretty popular reference to demons in the New Testament. And then this other one's probably not so popular. I just think it's, it's pretty cool. I, and I kind of have a feeling this is kind of what happens a lot of times with these... Uh, people who are trying to exercise demons in this day and age a little bit 
But anyway, the sons of Sceva. This is found in Acts chapter 19. starts in verse 11. It goes down through verse 20. There's these Jewish guys, and if you're familiar with the early church, um, the early Christian church, they were mostly Jewish people who had converted to Christianity to start off with. And then the Apostle Paul was the one who actually started going out to the people who were not Jewish, the Greeks, or as the Jews referred to them, the Gentiles. Anyone who's not a Jew is a Gentile. And so anyway, news of Paul had spread, news of Christ had spread, and these Jewish exorcists began um, proclaiming the name of Christ to some demon-possessed people. And uh, we're going to see what happens. Verse 11 of chapter 19 of the book of Acts. And God was handkerchiefs or aprons that he touched, had, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their disease left them, and evil spirits came out of them. And then some of the interant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered to them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, and both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was extolled. Also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books before them and burned them in the sight of all. So we're actually going to stop at verse 19. But um, anyway, that I think is kind of funny. These people who, who were trying to cast out evil spirits in the name of Christ, yet they did not know Christ, they were beat up and stripped naked and wounded. I don't know. I think that's kind of funny. And I, I don't know. I think there's definitely people out there who would probably try to do something to that effect today, maybe, perhaps. But anyway, I, I just think those are two interesting accounts of demonic possession there in the New Testament. There are others... Those are just, probably, like I said, probably the most famous one, and then the one I think is very interesting, um, which is why I shared, chose to share those two particular ones. Um, and there's all sorts of stuff we could get into in this whole area, but I think we'll leave it at that. That Definitely this is a part of the Christian belief. This is all throughout the New Testament, which is, has its foundation in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, and um, yeah. I don't want to get too deep in all that stuff, I don't guess, but there's definitely something that they have made up for the show that would be in line with their own mythology, their own you know structure for the show, what they have envisioned for their storytelling. And then there would also be reality with these things. And so, oh, but speaking of this, and I, okay, like one thing, like you see movies, for instance, we mentioned Exorcist, we mentioned um, Exorcist of Emily Rose, and the, like in those cases, um, in those movies, it would be a Catholic priest performing the rite of exorcism. I'm not a Catholic, but I know they do have... That is a legit thing they actually do. And honestly, the the one that Sam mentions in this episode, the ritual Romanu, was his... The one he found for actually exercising the demon is, is part of a, a Catholic ritual, from what I understand. It was part of a... Uh, like they said, a ritual for for doing this thing that was developed back in the Middle Ages. And there's actually a, a four-part thing here I saw on, on Wikipedia and Wikipedia is so um, awesome and trustworthy but it said one manifest, manifestation of superhuman strength two speaking in tongues or languages the person cannot know three the revelation of knowledge distance or hidden from the victim cannot know and four blasphemic rage and an aversion to holy symbols or relics I guess that's how they would test someone if they thought they were demon possessed which is kind of what they did in this episode where they spoke Christo to the flight attendant trying to get a response from her and like I said earlier, Christo is basically a, a Latin word which means anointed. Which, if you get into the whole thing about Jesus, Jesus Christ, Christ not being his last name, but as a title, he is the anointed one. And so saying Christo isn't what Sam said, isn't saying God, that's saying anointed one, that's saying Christ. But anyway, don't throw that out there yet again there in the supernatural and mythology. And like I said, religion section i guess <laughs> a little okay one other thing here i guess we'll talk about real quickly dean talks about the number 40 as far as biblical numerology and he says it means death well no not exactly um in the bible basically that kind of represents trial maybe i guess was a good better term for it if you look throughout some of the major things that happened in uh, something related to 40 you have, of course, the flood, 40 days, 40 nights of rain. But then you also have the children of Israel who are wandering in the desert for 40 years. And granted, 
death is involved there, I guess. Um, but then you also have Christ, who was tempted in the desert for 40 days. And that's one of the things that happened early on, right, really right before he really starts his ministry. He's baptized by John the Baptist, and he goes off into the wilderness. And for 40 days, he's on a fast. And at least at some point during that time, we, we have an account of how the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you'd like to call him, was trying to tempt Christ. And then also, as far as Old Testament stuff goes, there's a few more things there. We have Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days when he was getting the, the Ten Commandments, and that was in Exodus chapter 24. And then also we have Jonah, who went to preach to the people of Nineveh in Jonah chapter 3. And in that particular case, the people of Nineveh were basically told they had 40 days to repent and turn to God or their city would be destroyed. And so, yeah, there are some some death would have occurred in some of those, I guess. Uh, definitely with the flood, lots of death occurred. Um, children of Israel went through the desert. Death occurred. Pretty much all the older people of the children of Israel all died. And then basically the next generation are the ones who entered into the promised land. And then in the city of Nineveh instance, the king and his people turned back to God. And so there wasn't death involved with that. And then Jesus being tempted in the desert, not exactly death involved there either. So I think they have their, their stuff wrong again there. Um, just as we mentioned earlier about the word Christos, um, which is Latin for anointed one, which is Jesus' title. Um, they said that was God, and that was not a correct statement. <laughs> and so I think this is another one of those not correct statements here. But, hey, they're they're writing fiction, and they have their own liberties. And I guess in their world, they can have it mean whatever they want it to mean. Because um, they do, I mean, obviously Supernatural, it doesn't take place in the real world. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we, we'll move on from there. And we'll move on into our next segment of the show. Supernatural and Pop Culture. All right, well, it's time for Supernatural and Pop Culture. One of the, my favorite episode portions of our little podcast that we actually left out last week. It's back! Anyway, <laughs> first off, Plane Crash, very early in the episode, was very reminiscent of Lost Plane Crash. At least I thought it was. Oceanic Flight 815, 815, whatever you want to call it. And um, definitely some... I mean, any plane crash, I guess, is going to have some of those similarities, but I definitely thought that one looked very, very similar to that. Um, also, as far as pop culture references go, George Foreman infomercial was mentioned. And as you're probably well aware, George Foreman for many years now has had those little Foreman grills where you can cook burgers and things, um, drain away all the fat. <laughs> and so George Foreman is now known for or for selling these little products versus being a boxer. I mean, I don't, I mean, you probably younger people probably don't even know he is a boxer. I don't think. But okay, next up, Poltergeist, the movie was mentioned. There's actually a line where they said something about Poltergeist, and the guy in the background said, Poltergeist, I love that movie. And uh, we've we've briefly mentioned that movie before here on the podcast, and definitely have heard that this was one of those big influences for Eric Kripke, and that, of course, was the 1982 movie, Poltergeist. It had Craig T. Nelson, or Coach, as I most, most notably know him as, um, as the dad in the family, that is, moves into a house that was built on an Indian burial ground and all sorts of weird shenanigans happen. Their little daughter gets sucked into like the demon realm or whatever, the spirit realm, and they have a spiritual advisor lady come and help them. It's a bunch of crazy stuff. Um, then they have two more movies later on. Uh, the third one wasn't so good, I didn't think personally, but Steven Spielberg was one of the writers for the screenplay on that, which is amazing because Steven Spielberg is awesome. And Tobe Hopper directed that particular movie which he did the texas chainsaw massacre one and two he did say it was lottie the poltergeist pretty good at making horror movies i suppose i don't know definitely some creepy moments in that movie and that's one of those things like sometimes those older movies don't hold up i don't think this one is one of the ones i think still pretty much holds up as far as you know the hauntings and the scary parts i mean granted it's a pg movie so there's nothing too dramatic i guess but for especially for a pg movie from almost 30 years ago i think it holds up pretty well um, there's another definitely old movie we have referenced this week that we'll get to in a moment. All right. Anyway, Dean, when he has his Homeland Security suit on, says he looks like one of the Blues Brothers, which, of course, started off as a Saturday Night Live skit with Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi back in the 70s, became a mo- motion picture and actually a road show. I and mean, they had albums and everything where they would sing blues. They were pretty popular there for a while. Unfortunately, you know, John Belushi passed away, but even here... Uh, I think it was around a decade ago, 
John Goodman and Dan Aykroyd came out with the Blues Brothers movie, to Blues Brothers 2000, and I've actually even heard of an idea of a pilot coming out about the Blues Brothers where Dan Aykroyd wouldn't actually be in the show, but he would be a narrator, much like Bob Saget, on How I Met Your Mother. So that would be kind of interesting. Um, another thing I think was funny as far as a pop culture reference, Dean made his EMF detector out of an old Walkman. Uh, for one thing, just the fact that it's a Walkman is <laughs> pretty funny to me. Um, I mean, those were the thing to have back in the day. Um, they were from Sony, and it was one of those revolutionary devices at the time where you could take your little tapes around with you <laughs> and play them. And, I mean, I had those growing up. Definitely, definitely did. Actually, this came out in 1979, originally. And then over the years, they tried to make it, you know, other things with a CD player and then video players and mini disc players and... They tried to evolve with the times and do MP3s and whatnot, but they eventually died, just like all the other things out there, thanks to Steve Jobs, may he rest in peace, um, and Apple with the wonderful iPod, iPhone, iPads, and all the others. Um, all these other things are going away, much like the Zune, which is finally dead. You know, So is the Walkman, but it's a nice, fond childhood memory. Um, another just random thing that happens, someone's, um, when uh, someone makes a mistake at the factory or whatever, at the airline, whatever whatever Jerry's does, I'm not even sure what Jerry's job was, um, someone, he says, hey, Einstein. So that's kind of a reference to Albert Einstein, obviously. But that's just something people say anymore. It's not that they're even saying that they're smart. They're saying that the opposite, that they're dumb. And they say, hey, Einstein, as a derogatory statement. All right, one more time here. Um, Dean makes a reference to the exorcist, and he says, no floating over the bed barfing pea soup. And definitely a direct reference to The Exorcist, the 1973 movie. And technically it was written, I guess, by William, William Peter Blatty as a novel prior to that. And then he adapted the screenplay. The movie was directed by William Fredkind or Friedkin or something. I don't know. It's one of those classic horror movies. Has some crazy stuff going on in it yet again. Um, really, the only person that really sticks out to me right off is Linda Blair. And she played the young girl who was possessed, which... It was, she did a great job as a young girl. I know she came back in the second one. It was a made-for-TV movie. And then she even was in a movie with Nelsie Nielsen years later called Repossessed, which was pretty, actually pretty funny. I mean, it was one of those spoof movies. And then they did make two more original Exorcists in like a trilogy. But from what I understand, the third one was completely ruined by the studio. And William Peter Blatty had this great movie and this great story, and they just ruined it. Um, and then they have, in the recent years, gone back and made some prequels and stuff. So definitely a popular franchise. There's definitely lots of other Exorcist movies out there nowadays. Probably, I think, one of the best ones was The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is another one of those stupid Hollywood things where it's based on a true story. But from what I understand, I think that probably did one of the better jobs of portraying an exorcism and a possession. So anyway... And one more thing, on the plane, Dean says he doesn't have time for the truth is out there speech, which again is another reference to X-Files, which I'm pretty sure we've talked about before, but that was the Fox show that lasted, I think, like 10 seasons uh, with Jillian Anderson and David Duchovny for the good seasons anyway, <laughs> and other people in the not-so-good seasons. Um, well, definitely one of those great shows um, that have been out there in TV land. But anyway, we're going to move on to our next segment of the show, which we talk about the music. Driver picks the music. Alright, well the first one I noticed was early on in the episode, as they were driving around, we hear some Black Sabbath playing in the background. And that, if you're familiar, even if you're not familiar with the song itself, you, you've heard it and it's familiar to you, even if you're not a Black Sabbath fan. It's just one of those songs. And that was actually the song called Paranoid. And that was actually also the title of their second album back in 1970, a long time ago. Um, but it's, it's been one of those best-selling songs, and it has some of those really, really famous um, Black Sabbath songs, too. Like this is, I think this was the one Black Sabbath CD I've ever owned. I don't have it anymore. Um, but it does have Iron Man on there, which has definitely in recent years been a huge thing just with the Iron Man movies and stuff. And so that's pretty cute. But that's definitely one of those big hit albums. It's like four times the platinum, which is, means at least four million records or whatever were sold. And I would assume most of those were back when it was a record. Uh, we also hear some more Rush. I know we talked about them recently. And Rush, 
is a Canadian rock band. They're pretty popular just in general and definitely seem to be popular here on Supernatural. And Working Man was the name of the song featured in this week's episode, and it was on their debut album, which was self-titled, just called Rush. And it was on some other ones like a live you know, live album or whatever. And this is, you can play it in a rock band if you have a rock band. I mean, we've already talked kind of about who Rush is, I guess, a little bit. And if you don't know, you should check them out. They're one of those great rock bands out there. Um, in addition to being featured here on Supernatural, it's been on My Name is Earl, that 70 shows, and other things, just because people like Rush. And uh, it's true. It is very true. All right, and there's one last one that was featured this week, and that was Load Rage by Nikon Sounds Library. And again, this is one of those deals we talked about. Oh, this is like one of those things we talked about last episode with What a Way to Go by Black Toast Music. I guess it's just one of those services that does music and stuff for movies and television shows. You can try to look up some information about it if you would care to. And when I tried to look it up, all I got basically were links for Supernatural Season 1 stuff. So I'm assuming that the Nikon or Nishan or whatever sound library is just another one of those services that provides those music um, titles um, for movies and TV shows. That's the best I can figure out. So, hey, if you know better, please let me know. I'd be glad to share that information. But anyway, we're going to move on on into our next segment of the podcast and that is of course our feedback section all right supernatural cast feedback all right well last week we are we shared a couple emails we got from michelle i do have two more this week there was actually a third i didn't share last week We'll start with that one. She says, thanks for the responses. I do hope you continue with the podcast. It's a nice addition to my catalog. Enjoy the episode this evening. I know I'm looking forward to it. Smiley face, Michelle. Thanks, Michelle, for that. And we do have one more from her um, as after episode three was posted. And um, she has a few things to say there, which were good. She does respond to one of the questions I asked. She says, I'll just listen to the episode. Ha ha. Please don't feel obligated to read my entire email in the future unless you want to. But thanks for that. I tried to make this one shorter in any case. A few things. I believe the salt with regards to ghost spirits, demons, etc. is meant to represent purity. Therefore, it has the power to repel, protect against evil. If I remember correctly, there is some kind of related urban legend myth that is used in season three ep. Ghost facers. Sam and Dean kind of explain this use of salt, referencing also the fact that you're supposed to throw salt over your shoulder. Not sure about the burning. Haven't really tried to research the roots of a particular method of killing ghosts. She said, I don't know if you listened to any of the commentaries on the episodes, but I know for the first season at least, those horror movies you were reminded of, The Ring, The Grudge, etc., were definite influences of the special effects and the monsters. Guest stars I love, Daniel Hugh Kelly from Second Noah. It was a short-lived show, but it was enjoyable. And it also jump-started James Marston's career. Personally, I really like this episode. For being the third episode of the first season, it surprisingly still holds up. What I enjoy most about it is the revelations we get from Dean to Lucas about his early childhood from his mother's death. It's our first glimpse into the psyche of this guy, and it's a rare glimpse. Dean, as a character, holds his emotions very close to the vest and doesn't elaborate when pushed. Something we see in full force in seasons three to five especially. This theme gets its start here with the gentle brush off of Sam afterwards. I also agree with your theories about Dean and family. I don't think Dean fully realizes it as of this episode, but I do think this is when the seeds of family are first planted. It's my opinion that Dean never considered children to be more than just a nuisance before now. He's never taken the time to actually get to know one. In this episode, he does, and he finds out the worth of the effort. The catalyst, I'm sure, was Lucas reminded Dean of himself as a child and maybe the wish that someone had taken an interest in making sure he was okay after his mother's death. We never do really learn how or even if John tried to help Dean cope with the loss. I do enjoy the new format. It flows very organically. The pop culture section faltered a bit. You could save the pop culture references for that section. Maybe don't mention them in the recap. Just an idea. I'm glad to see you're gaining fans. I'll do what I can to get people to listen, even though I only have a handful of friends who are fans of the show. Take care, and I look forward to the next episode. Michelle. All right, well, thank you so much, Michelle, for that. I do appreciate you contacting the show. And I also had a, a person contact me from one of my other podcasts. I do um, the Falling Skies cast about Falling Skies on TNT. He asked about about this podcast. And so thanks to Jessica for, for contacting me there. And I sent her the information about this podcast. So hopefully she'll enjoy this as well. And we definitely have some stuff on feedback um, from the Facebook page and from Twitter and such. 
All right, well, over on Facebook, we do have a few more people find us there, so thanks everyone who has. Uh, up to eight people. <laughs> but uh, you can invite your friends if you'd like to. That's okay. Um, Shannon did say thanks for the shout-out in episode three. Glad to do that. And then I do want to say thanks to some people over on Twitter. Send us out some Follow Fridays. I sent myself a couple of Follow Fridays. <laughs> the Falling Skies and Jimmy in Georgia. And then also from Win Tasty Chester, my Supernatural Site DK, which is my SPN Site DK. I Heart Jensen A on Twitter. Send us a Follow Friday. And so you can check those guys and gals out. So far, got a little over 100 followers over there. So if you're on Twitter, check us out. I'll keep you updated on our latest stuff going on. Same thing with the Supernatural Cast Facebook page. It'll have our latest information about shows and releases and news and such as that. Well, I guess that's about all for our feedback for this time. And uh, we'd love to have you call into the show. I have not had that happen, um, to my knowledge, anyway thus far and you can do that if you would care to call into the show at 203-74-SUPER that's 203-747-8737 well over on twitter we are the supernatural cast but unfortunately twitter does have regulations we can't include the l there at the end so it's supernatural cast on twitter if you find us on facebook you can just search supernatural cast and we're there um, we're on google plus if you want our Google Plus, you can check us out over there. You can search for Supernatural Cast. You can find us. Um, again, you can find us in iTunes and subscribe to the podcast, but I would assume that's how most of you probably have found us already. There's also the RSS feed over there on the site on SupernaturalCast.com if you need to find that for some other podcatcher that you might use to listen to on podcasts. And so that's definitely a possibility, too. And we'd love for you to email us at mail at SupernaturalCast.com. And uh, we'll try to reply to you pretty quickly, if possible. And so we'd love to have your voicemails, or your emails, your Twitter messages, Facebook messages, Google Plus messages, whatever it might be. Um, it'd be great. And we hope to have you back here next time for episode five of the show, which is a fun one, Bloody Mary. And so we're going to end the show here in just a moment with our Dean quote of the week and then play out with our little music there at the end so from the supernatural cast i'm jimmy in georgia peace it's time for the dean quote of the week we're getting on the plane we need to find that demon and exercise it look i'll get the tickets you just go get whatever you can out of the trunk whatever will make it through security meet me back here in five minutes are you okay no not really what what's wrong well, I kind of have this problem with, uh... Flying? It's never really been an issue until now. You're joking, right? Do I look like I'm joking? Why do you think I drive everywhere, Sam?